Genesis chapter 6, I want to read to you verses 5 through 8. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I'm sorry that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, it is sweet to be gathered. May we hear your voice in your word. Lord, I've said and you've heard me say, I genuinely believe that there is a miracle that occurs when the people of God sit under the word of God in the presence of the Spirit of God for the glory of God, that you do things in this type of setting that we can't experience anywhere else. I pray that you will do a miracle in our midst and grow us and change us to your glory in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. <clears throat> we live in God's world. And no matter how beautiful or how ugly things get in this world, that fact never changes. The Lord made us. The Lord rules us. The Lord is in control. And those might be difficult thoughts for somebody to think in an era when violence and viruses disrupt our lives. But a look at the Word of God, even in its earliest chapters, will show us that what we experience today most certainly does matter. It surely is no surprise to God. And what we experience today is not at all hopeless. Today's message honestly, has a little different feel than some of the ones you have at Providence because, again, we're back together and I want us to do something a, a, little, a little different in the fact that we're not going to be only unpacking a single passage but a section of Scripture today. But what we will do this, more, this afternoon, I don't have time to do that, what we will do this afternoon is examine a few statements from the first six chapters of Scripture to expose the answer to three absolutely crucial questions for you and me today. What gives us value? What has gone wrong? Where is our hope? I want us to hear the story of the world from Genesis chapters 1 through 6. And in that story, we will find three points, three answers to those very important questions. And we will find the one hope for humanity. So what gives us value? Point number one, value every human being because of the image of God. Value every human being because of the image of God. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The God who is, who always is, spoke the universe into existence. With the will and the word of God, stars began to blaze, planets began to spin, moons began to orbit, waters began to move, atoms began to hold together, and what was not began to be. Over the first days of creation, God created with a rhythmic pattern of consistency. The Lord spoke. Something came into being. God declared it good. There was evening and morning. The Lord spoke. Something came into being. God declared it good. And there was evening and morning. But on the sixth day of creation, the rhythm was broken. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Some of you are going to want to do this with me. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. What happened there? God slowed down. God took his time. God formed in the dust of the earth his crown jewel of creation. On the sixth day, God created mankind. When God created us, he didn't simply declare us to be good. He declared humanity to be very good. Super good. Why was humanity so special, you ask? Well, unlike all the rest of creation, mankind was the only part of God's creation that God fashioned in God's very own image. Humanity bears the stamp of the God who created us. What does it mean to be made in God's image? One, for one thing, we have personality. Well, at least some of us do. We have, we have souls, right? But the rest of creation does not have souls. Animals and trees don't have souls. Only people. Also, two, those souls that we have, they last forever. The rest of creation doesn't have that kind of promise. In addition, We are, because we are here in the image of God, we are representations of the presence and the authority of God. Thus, we have great value as images of the king. And most importantly, we exist with a purpose. To display to the universe around us the greatness, majesty, and glory of Almighty God. All of this gives us our value. All of this gives us our worth. All of this gives us our purpose. And even today, thousands of years later, the imprint of God on humanity is what gives every human life its value. From the baby in the womb to the grandma in the nursing home, From the mask wearer to the mask shunner, from the poor to the rich, 
from the police officer to the protester, man or woman, black or white or brown, saint or sinner, all people have incalculable value because all human beings exist in the image of the Holy One who created us. So stop here and see the value of every human being. Because every person on earth bears the image of God, every person on earth is of tremendous worth. That means that you and I dare never belittle anybody. You with me? We dare not devalue anybody. We dare not look at any group that's out there, whether they're like us, or they're totally different from us. Whether they look like us or totally different than us. Whether their beliefs and politics and desires are like ours or are different than ours. We dare never look at them as worth less than us or worth more than us. Because we're all made in the image of the one holy God. In this season of social unrest... You've got to be sure, you've got to be sure that you are seeing every person in the world, not as a member of this group or that group, but as a member of the human race created in the image of God and endowed with incredible, incalculable worth because of the image of God they bear. Start there and you'll start understanding the world. That's where we get our value. But what went wrong? Point number two, see the wickedness in the human heart. See the wickedness in the human heart. God created human beings in his image. He set them in a garden. It was a paradise. God gave them everything they would ever need to be joyful and fulfilled. I have to believe there weren't cats. I, I maybe there were. I just don't understand how it works. If they were, they were different. Um, God gave them everything they would need to be joyful and fulfilled. And God only put one restriction on humanity, forbidding one fruit in the garden from them. Just one. There were tr- there were. Hundreds, maybe thousands of fruit trees. God said, leave that one to me. That's it. But then the perfection of God's creation was marred. Into the mix came another voice. A sneaky, lying, deceiving voice. The devil himself, disguised as a serpent, spoke to the woman. He tricked her. He made her believe that she could disobey God's command. Satan told the woman that if she would only eat the fruit that God had forbidden her, she would become like God. She would know what God knows. She would be her own God. The woman was deceived. She chose badly. I I, I had this Indiana Jones. She chose poorly. If you have Last Crusade, right? But the man God made, he was right there with the woman. 
Adam was responsible to God to protect his wife and to stand firm for the things of God as a leader. And unlike the woman, he was not deceived. He watched, he sat back and passively watched his wife dishonor and disobey God. And then he made a choice for himself. The man decided that he would no longer follow God. He decided that he would rule his own life. He decided that he could decide his own rules for right and wrong. The man with full knowledge and understanding of God's command chose to disobey the word of God, to eat the forbidden fruit. And at the moment of man's rebellion against God, all of the universe was changed. God's creation fell. Everything in the world, from humanity to animal life, to weather patterns, to the lives of stars and planets was impacted by the sinful choice of mankind. God's word tells us all creation, all creation groans under the curse of man's sin against his creator, Romans 8, 22 and 23. And in the lives of mankind, many things happened as a result of us rebelling against God. Death, of course, was the prime consequence of sin. Humanity began to die. That means that sickness, weakness, bad sinuses, allergies, and broken bones, heart disease, cancer, asthma, arthritis, aging, death entered the human experience, and it would have never been there before. Besides the horrors of physical death, though, mankind lost his close relationship with God. People, people found strife in their relationships to one another. Work became a burden. Marriage became strained. Communications between men and women was messed up. And every bit of this was caused by the rebellion of man against God. You know, Satan may have believed that he won at that moment, but he was wrong. The Lord knew what Satan was going to do. The Lord knew what humanity was going to choose. Before God ever created us, he knew what we would do. God had a plan, and God's plan was that God would display God's grace and God's justice. And right away, God showed mercy to Adam and Eve because he clothed them. He put clothes on them. He spared their lives. And the ultimate kindness of God was promised to the couple because he made a promise that a descendant from the woman would come and crush the devil. God would send someone into the world to rescue fallen humanity. Well, since God made a promise like that in the garden, the man and woman shouldn't have really been surprised when God was gracious enough to allow the woman to bear children. Two sweet little boys, Cain and Abel, were born. But the taint of sin marked the children of Adam. In fact, Cain was a lot more like his parents than you might have expected because in Genesis chapter 4, Cain gets angry with his brother. Why did he get angry with his brother? Cain was furious that God would accept an offering from Abel when God did not accept an offering from Cain. 
This young man, now get this, don't let this pass you by. This is humanity right here. This young man believed he had the right to approach God in whatever way he saw fit. And he was offended. How dare God tell Cain what was acceptable or unacceptable worship? I will do it my way. Thank you very much. And the rage of Cain is still felt in our world today, isn't it? How many times have you heard somebody tell you how the world ought to go? How many times have you heard people say to you, well, the God I believe in would never do what the God of the Bible says he's done? How many times have you heard somebody suggest, oh, you know, truth is relative. That might be your truth, but it's not my truth. How many times have you known people to threaten or even do violence to other people because the other people just won't applaud their view? If you won't promote what I do, if you won't wave my flag, I'm going to take your job. Cain took his rage out on his brother. And in a despicable moment, Cain deceived, attacked, and murdered his brother. So we can add to the scars of sickness, relational difficulties, and work-related stress and marital strife. The horror of violent crime enters the human experience. And they are all caused by our sin and our separation from God. Humanity spirals down a terrible path. God banished Cain from his presence. And for a moment, it all feels like it's lost. As humanity grows and progresses, the evil mark of Adam's sin and Cain's sin of rebellion against God, of rebellion against God's ways, seems to be becoming more and more prevalent all over the world. The wicked man Lamech, he's a descendant of Cain in Genesis chapter 4, verses 19 to 23. The wicked Lamech, he is the first person we see in the Bible who perverts God's design for marriage. And Lamech writes a song boasting about murdering a man who had simply insulted him. He thought he could do violence to another person, kill another person because another person hurt his feelings. Then in Genesis 6, we see that the men who should have been following God have angered God by throwing off all moral restraint. They filled the world with sexual immorality and violence. And God saw the corruption of humanity and God was angry, rightly so, justly so. God saw the line of men who should have been God's own followers and they were selling themselves out for physical gratification and God decided that things were going to change. No longer would God put up with it. God was going to change the world. God was going to judge humanity. And then we see what we read in Genesis 6 starting at 5 through 7. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's a Bible verse you should know. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth 
and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I've made them. The Lord God looked down onto the earth and he saw right into the hearts of humankind. And what did God find there? He looked into human hearts, hearts just like yours, just like mine. And he saw an inclination toward evil and not toward good. God saw his creation, the creation that still bears his image, turning away from him and destroying itself. God saw only evil, only perversion, only corruption in what had once been super good. What has gone wrong in our world? We're sinners in rebellion against God. That was true in Genesis, and it's true today. What's wrong with our world is sin, and it should be no surprise that it affects everybody. Every person guilty of racism is guilty of sin. Every person doing violence to another person or destroying another person's property is guilty of sin. Every person harshly judging others for their views on health issues is in sin. Every person who turns away from God's word and tries to do things his way or her way, no matter what the ways are, no matter how wise others think those ways are, no matter how many likes those ways get on Facebook, if the person is not living in submission to the word of God, to the glory of Jesus Christ, they are in sin. So in point of fact, we are all a very sinful, very broken race. We're given to violence and meanness. We're given to license and lawlessness. We have darkened hearts. We have entered a state of rebellion against God that deserves God's judgment, that deserves God's wrath, and we have entered into a state of brokenness, and it is impossible for us to do anything that will fix our lives or our society by our own efforts. We need a Savior to forgive us and bring us out of our brokenness or we will destroy ourselves and one another. How did God respond in Genesis 6 to all this? God was grieved. His holy heart was affronted by the rebellion of humanity. God actually felt sorrow for ever creating these people who had turned so wicked. Now pause, just a second. God's sorrow is not the sorrow of regret over a mistake. God doesn't make mistakes. God wasn't caught unaware. Yet God, because of God's perfection, will not tolerate it when his creation rebels against him. The holy justice of the Almighty God must be satisfied. Thus, God chooses to do a thing that many of us would find unbelievable. God says he's going to blot out all of the people he had made. God is going to remove from his sight all the rebels, all of humanity. 
So in a very real, very literal sense, in Genesis chapter 6, God is saying, because they have all become evil, I'm going to kill them all. And you might be thinking to yourself that, well, God shouldn't kill people for sin. But have you forgotten that those are exactly the rules that he started us with? God told Adam that if he were to rebel against God, if he were to disobey God's command regarding the fruit, Adam would surely die. While God was gracious toward humanity, God didn't strike Adam and Eve dead at the moment of the first sin, which was kind of God. God still had a promise to keep. God still owed all of humanity death. So no, God was not being unfair when God decided to destroy all of his creation that he made by his power for his glory. And because we're sinners against God, friends, we deserve God's righteous judgment too. We deserve death. We deserve hell because we have rebelled against God. And because we're broken in our rebellion, we've broken the world. Crimes and cruelty are part of our society. And the question is, what is our hope? In Genesis, the hope was found in that promise God made in the garden. God promised a man to come who would crush the devil. That man would not come, though, from the line of Cain. No, God graciously gave Adam and Eve another son, a young man named Seth. And Seth's family line would carry the promise of God. And Seth's family line would carry the only hope for humanity. So what is our hope? Point number three. And I'm going to tell you, This applies to the big question of universal what is our hope and it it applies to what is our hope today, friends. Believe that Jesus is our only hope. Point three, believe that Jesus is our only hope. Listen to verse eight of Genesis six. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. so good. Here we see a spark of hope, a beautiful spark of life. The Bible says that Noah, a descendant of Seth, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. There's a hint here of of hope. We need that hope, and we need the hope that it points to. Now, notice two important words in verse 8 real quick. Pay special attention to the word found and the word favor. Found and favor. If you're an underliner in your Bible, I would underline those words. Noah, what did he do? He found favor. Noah did not earn favor in the eyes of God. This is not telling us that Noah is so very good, so very righteous that he earned the favor of God. No, 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 no. The favor of God was given to Noah. Given, given as a gift to Noah. In fact, the word for favor could easily be translated grace. And what is grace? Grace is a gift of God that you didn't earn. You can't pay for grace to deserve grace. Otherwise, grace is not grace. If you buy grace, grace ain't grace. No, the grace God gave Noah is a free gift in much the same way that God's grace to anyone has always been a free gift. So what happens next in the story? 
You guys know the Bible story in Genesis 6, don't you? God commands Noah to build an ark, a big boat. The boat was going to be large enough and seaworthy enough to carry everyone who would enter into it to safety. I saw recently at somewhere between 68,000 and 79,000 square feet of deck space. That's not bad. God commanded Noah, take your family, take your family and take a literal boatload of animals. And Noah believed God and he obeyed. Then God destroyed the earth. Torrents of water fell from the sky. Geysers and volcanoes erupted sending massive amounts of water up from beneath the earth's surface. And the entire structure of the surface of the planet would have changed in the cataclysm of the flood. People died. People were living their lives, doing business as usual, getting married, having children, building houses. Some of them were nice. Some of them were nasty. All of them were sinners. And suddenly the windows of heaven opened up and the ground rumbled and broke apart and mountains moved and fell down and walls of water came crashing down over the people, crushing them, drowning them, sweeping them away, utterly destroying them. This is no cute children's fairy tale. This was the darkest of real life. But God watched over and protected Noah. God was unwilling that all of human life should perish. So though Noah did not deserve to be given God's grace, God blessed Noah and Noah's family with favor. Because they listened to God and entered the ark, Noah and his family were spared from the fury of God. Noah and his family were in the ark for 377 days. So if you think the quarantine stuff lately has been a pain, 377 days with only your family and a boatload of animals. And during that time, the world as they knew it changed. But eventually God dried up the planet and allowed Noah to exit the ark and worship him and begin a brand new life in a brand new world. Well, Noah must have been totally good and totally free from sin, right? No. You read chapter 9, you find, you watch Noah drink himself into a stupor and pass out naked in his living room. Noah was not perfect either before or after the flood. Noah was, however, Willing to trust God. God provided what Noah needed. God rescued Noah. All Noah did was be rescued. And even when Noah had been rescued, Noah repented when he sinned. Just like any follower of God will admit our wrongs to the Lord and seek his mercy today. And here's where we find the hope. Here's where we find the only hope that you and I have to offer a world in turmoil. Christians, you want to know what you can offer a world in turmoil, right? What do you got? You, the only hope that we have is not what most people in the world think is going to make things better. It is not what most people in the world are trying to do right now. 
The only hope that you and I have and the only hope that the world has is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you look at Noah's story, you see the gospel, don't you? People in Noah's day had rebelled against God. They earned God's right wrath. They were under God's judgment. They were destined for destruction. But God provided one single means of rescue. God had Noah build an ark. Noah was given a choice by God. Here's your choice, Noah. You enter the ark. If you trust God to rescue in that boat, then you're going to be saved. But if you will not enter the ark, if you will not trust in God to rescue you through that boat, then you will be destroyed along with all the rest of sinful humanity. And Noah trusted God, and Noah went in the ark, and Noah was rescued by God. Do you see the gospel, friends? We need rescue. And God has provided one possible means of rescue. If you've never been rescued, come and be rescued before it's too late. We're a lot like Noah. We live in a sinful world. We live among a people who sin against God, and we sin against God our very selves. We deserve to be punished by God for our sin. We should be destroyed by God's wrath. But God has offered grace to the world. God has made a way for you and me to be rescued from his wrath. God has built an ark for us to run to to be saved. But the way that God has made for us to be saved is not a big boat. Instead, God's plan to save humanity is through the gracious, sacrifice of God's very own son. Jesus Christ died to pay the price for the sins of all of God's children. Jesus died and rose to life again to redeem God's people. And everyone who runs to Jesus and shelters under his precious blood is saved. So today, you are hearing me and you're part of one or two groups. Whether you're in this room, whether you're on Facebook or wherever, If you hear me, you are part of one of two groups. You might be one of the people outside of the ark. Maybe you've never turned from your sin and placed your trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. If you have not, you are in great danger. There will come a day when the wrath of God is unleashed on those who have rebelled against God. And if you have not been hidden in the grace of Jesus, you will be swept away and destroyed. You will be cast into hell forever. So if you haven't come to Jesus yet, come to Jesus today. Don't wait. You have no guarantee that you will get another chance. Confess to God that you're a sinner. Let go of trying to be your own master. Believe in Jesus. Ask him for mercy. Commit to follow him as your Lord from today forward. The Bible says, repent and believe in Jesus and you will be saved. I would guess that it's most likely that most who hear me today have run to Jesus. There's probably a time in your life when you turned away from your sin. Remember that. You rejected sin. There's a time when you decided you don't want any longer to live for yourself by your own rules, but instead you saw Jesus Christ was your only hope to be saved. If you're saved, you cried out to Jesus, Lord Jesus, please rescue me. And Jesus Christ gave you new life. He forgave your sins. He shields you from the wrath of God that you deserve. 
Listen, if you cried out to Jesus, God will not punish you for your sinning against him because the sin you've committed against God has already been paid for perfectly by the blood of Jesus. And now, because you have surrendered your life to Jesus, you are committed, you are, aren't you? You are committed to live for Jesus, to joyfully obey everything he has taught you in the word of God. No, you're not perfect yet, but you're forgiven and you're committed to obey the word of God in Christ if you are truly a Christian. If you've come to Jesus, let the picture of Noah and the ark remind you of the great rescue God gave you. Praise God for his grace. Live graciously toward others. Make it your life's ambition to call other people to run to Jesus for rescue before it's too late because there's a whole world out there that needs that message. And live for the glory of the God who saved you. Christians, what gives us our value? Every human being has value because we're made in the image of God. What's gone wrong with this crazy world then? The world is broken by sin. There's not a bigger, better answer than that. We will never fix this world in our own power. So what's the solution to the problem? The solution is the grace of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. So what do you do? Be committed to Jesus. If you're not yet committed to Jesus, you need to be committed to Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Be saved by Jesus. Surrender your life to follow Jesus. Then what do you do? Look at the world with new eyes, the eyes of heaven, and see that every person on this earth has value because of the image of God that they bear. And then you work to try to repair the brokenness of the world by calling every single person everywhere to turn from sin and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to find salvation. And friends, if we will obey Jesus, go and make disciples of all nations, if we teach people to obey everything that the Lord Jesus has taught us in his word, then we will change the world by the grace of God one life at a time. What does that mean that I'm preaching a sermon here telling you not to participate in the political process or do whatever else you could do to make the world a better place? No, I'm not. You are free to do all the good you want to do in the world so long as you do not compromise the gospel, promote an ungodly worldview, or disobey the clear commands of the Lord. But can I tell you, don't be surprised when the love of many people in the world grows cold, just as the Savior promised it would. You need to know that the only power that will move humanity out of brokenness and into God's design for us is the soul-saving gospel of the Lord Jesus. Church, I think this message is especially important for us today. We live in a time of unrest. There are many hurts, real hurts. There are many contrary views as to how to fix society. But how about even as we look at society, we remember what we saw in verse 5 of chapter 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. If you and I are left to ourselves, our hearts will only produce evil thoughts and godless intentions. The solution to that kind of world is not better politics. The solution is Jesus. Mankind does not need to be made better. We need to be made alive. 
Mankind does not need a helper. We need a rescuer. We don't need healing. We need resurrection. As a pastor, I'm not going to tell you how you should respond to every little aspect of the world's political struggles. You're not going to see me all over Facebook telling you what group's right and what group's wrong. But as a pastor, I'll tell you this. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. And every single person in the whole wide world needs Jesus. And only the salvation that the Lord offers us can change a human heart. Only the word of God will lead us to true justice. Only the presence of the Holy Spirit can, in, can give wisdom and holiness to the decisions we need to make. We don't build an ark. Jesus is where you run for refuge, rescue, and resurrection. We point people to him. We call on people all over the world of all political persuasions to turn from sin and trust in Christ because trusting in Jesus is like stepping on the ark. Turning to Jesus is a sign that God has already changed you and turning to Jesus is where you find hope for a world that wants to tear itself apart. But thanks be to God. The ark floated. Thanks be to God, the Savior rose from the grave. Thanks be to God, all who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus in faith and repentance are saved. Thanks be to God, the Holy Spirit indwells every single person who's ever been saved. Thanks be to God, he has never lost control of his world in the past. Thanks be to God, he has not lost control of the world today. And thanks be to God, he will not lose control of his world in the future. Friends, will you pray with me? Father, the fact is, this is your world. And the fact is, we have no hope that doesn't come to us from the gospel of Jesus. And there may be all sorts of other good things we can do and should do, and I pray that we will do them. But the truth is, Lord, we need Jesus, and we need to share Jesus. And I would pray with, with this group right now, and I would pray for this group right now, Lord, that we will become passionately committed to the spread of the genuine gospel worldwide. Save souls. Change hearts. Give us gracious, grace-filled eyes. Help us care about those who hurt, but help us know that the solution is the Savior. That's our prayer in Christ's name. Amen.